Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. It's good to see you today. Glad, glad you were here. Um, I, I want to start out with a bit of participation this morning. Um, so some congregation participation, if you would. Um, the first group was awake for this, so you better be too, okay? Um, they, were, they were awake earlier than you, and uh, they were on target with it. Um, I'm going to want you to finish the sentence is what I'm going to ask you to do here in, in just a moment. Um, and years ago, there was a watch company, and a watch company had this motto that they really popularized through their commercials. And in their commercials, they would strap their watch, their product, to some something and put it under unbelievable circumstances to prove just how durable their watches were. And some of you, I can tell, already know what I'm talking about. That, that company was named Timex, and the motto was this, Timex takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And that phrase got really popularized by, by that company, and, you know, you'd also hear that, that phrase, you know, they took a licking, you know, sometimes in sporting events talking about, you know, a team maybe or a, a boxing match, a boxer took a licking. Um, and I, I bring that up because I had intended to entitle this message, How to Keep Your Tongue from Licking You. But when I, when I told Kyler that's what I wanted to name it on uh, Tuesday when we did worship planning, Kyler rolled his eyes at me. And then I realized how lame that was, so I didn't go with that. I, but I do want to talk about this today because we find ourselves uh, at this place in James and where James is going to. And so I want, to, want us to think about today's message is very basic. Uh, it is simply kind of a, a 101 introductory level, uh, if you would, to the need we have to tame, to tame our tongues. James talks about it in those words. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1 this morning. And I'm going to read from the ESV uh, this morning. James starts this way. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Includes you two sisters. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. So, also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great is a forest, uh, is, how, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature 
can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Now today we're going to look at what James has to say about how we wield our words, if you would, because our words are like are like a, a, a great weapon of warfare, if you would, a great, a great sword. And today, because so much of our communication is digital and not just verbal, the message from James needs to uh, translate for us and address our need to control communication of, of every form. See, friends, the, the significance of, of our words of language on any culture is incredible. The language that we use in any environment is what really establishes a, a community's culture. Kingdoms and cultures are built on language, on, on words. I mean, think about it. Our universe, the earth that we are, are on, were, came into creation through the spoken word of God. When God wanted to confound uh, a group of people who had gotten kind of too big for their britches, too proud, uh, thinking they were going to, you know, ascend to heaven themselves, he confounded their communication capacity. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. They were no longer able to build their community, their, their own little kingdom. Now, one of the things I did this week is I tried to study this and, and think about all kinds of statistics um, you know, I, I kind of grew up hearing the statistic that uh, women used significantly more words than men in a given day. And the latest study that I, as, as I found, le- several studies, basically uh, showed that there's really not that much difference. It depends on what environment uh, we're placed in that usually makes the difference on that. And the truth is, uh, about both men and women, um, most all of us are born with a silver foot in our mouths. We tend to spend a lot of time putting our, our foot there, saying the wrong thing uh, at the wrong time with, with our mouths. Um, I remember hearing about a stock boy at a grocery store uh, one time who he had, uh, was out putting vegetables uh, out, and uh, a lady came up to him and said, you know, I really only need um, a half a head of lettuce. Can, can that be done? And he said, I've never seen that done. I'll have to go ask a manager. And so he walks back to the back, not knowing that she was following him. And so he gets to his manager, and he starts spouting off. He said, boss, there's this old bag out there, and she wants to know, can she have a half a head of lettuce? Well, he catches movement out of the corner of his eye and realizes the lady has followed him. And so he quickly says, and this sweet lady would like the other half, please. Um, You know, sometimes we all engage our mouths before we do our brains. So this is just practical. 
very practical, as we have say, said James is. And he, James hits this very, very hard. In fact, James talks more about our communication strategies than any other New Testament writer did. Every chapter in the book of James says something about controlling our communication. Look at verse 2 of James 3. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. James is saying, if you could control your mouth, you would be perfect. Now, the word that's used here for perfect isn't about being sinless. It's about being mature. It's about being fully spiritually healthy, if you would. You know, health so often can be determined by our tongue. When you go to a doctor with an illness, one of the first things he tells you to do is open your mouth and do what? Well, before you do ah, what are you supposed to do? Stick out your tongue, you know? Because he can tell some things about your physical health from your tongue. In the same way, your spiritual health can be seen based on the way that your tongue gets used. And so James says, we've got to learn how to manage these, to control these. We've got, to, we've got to get command over our communication. And you might say, well, why does this matter so much? Why does, why does taming my tongue matter so much? Why must I do that? You know, they're, they're, they're only words, you know, they're not that significant. But James gives us three reasons why, and he gives us six illustrations, two illustrations per reason, if you would. Why we need to learn to control, to tame our, our verbal tongue, because we got one of those. But in our day, we got 10 digital tongues. And we wag these babies a lot these days. And oftentimes, they say worse things than our verbal tongues do. And I think James wants us to apply all of our tongues to his teaching today. So here's why tongue taming matters so much. First of all, because my words will determine the direction of my life. It will determine my life's directions. I, our words have tremendous power over our lives. If you want to know, you know, kind of where you're headed, what you're gonna, life is going to look like 10 years from now, just start looking at what you talk about most. Because your life is going to head in that direction. You know, we might be able to shape our words, but quite frankly, our words oftentimes shape our lives. James says in uh, verse 5, he says, the tongue, it's a small thing. And sometimes because it's so small, we may think it's insignificant, but it has tremendous power. And so James tells us to consider a couple of things. First thing he tells us is to consider, think about a horse, he says, and uh, in, in verse 3. And, and just imagine this, you've got this powerful beast, two, 3,000 pounds. And you got this tiny little 95-pound jockey on the back of it. But that, that jockey can control the movement of that horse, can control the horse's whole body because there's this little piece of steel strategically laid across that horse's tongue. It's called, called a bit. He can, he can guide that powerful beast anywhere he wants to go. And friends, a, a little word or phrase coming from you can heavily influence the direction of your own life and the lives of others. And James said, okay, let me give you another example. He says in verse 4, you need to think about a ship. He says, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. 
I did a little research and found out that the largest oil tanker ever built was the, they called it the Seawise Giant. It was this massive thing. And yet, comparatively speaking, the rudder on it, and I went and looked at pictures, the rudder on it, though it was pretty big itself, compared to the whole ship, was a tiny thing. But it was the thing that kept it on course. Even in fierce ocean storms, that little rudder kept that ship on course. James says, our tongue is just like that. Our tongue has that capacity. It's the steering wheel of your life. It's the, it's the guidance system, if you would. So, if you don't like the direction your life is heading, one of the things that you need to consider is changing how you're communicating and what, what you're communicating. You know, many people think, you know, well, if the, if the tongue, you know, if it's so powerful and, and that, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is just quit talking. Well, sometimes even that doesn't work. I heard a story about a guy who uh, decided he wanted to enter a monastery, and um, the, the probation period on this monastery was three years, and you had to stay silent all three of those years, except the, the end of your year, you, uh, of each year, you got to say two words. And so this guy enters the, the, the monastery, and at the end of his first year, he said, bed hard. He goes through his second year, he gets to the end of his second year, and he says, food cold. He gets to the end of his third year, and he's done. He's decided that, you know, this life is not for him, and so he says, I quit. Well, the, the head priest who was doing this kind of exit interview says, look, I am not surprised by any of this. All you've done since you've been here is complain." <laughs> yeah, I know, that's probably lame too. Kyler's over there rolling his eyes again at me. No, I'm kidding. J James says that the tongue can direct where we go. So we need to learn to control it. But James secondly tells us that the tongue matters and our taming it matters because our words have the ability to destroy what we've built, what's been built. James gives this other illustration in verse 5. And he kind of says, imagine a beautiful forest, tall trees. Now imagine in just a moment. It's gone because it's destroyed by a little spark. Look at verse 5. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. We all saw this past year the devastation that a raging fire could bring on the island of Maui. The lives that were destroyed, the communities that were devastated, lives lost. James says, your tongue has that destructive capacity. It can destroy just like that. You can lose it all. You know, a careless camper can destroy a beautiful forest uh, overnight even. Gossip is like a fire. It spreads quickly. It wreaks havoc everywhere it goes. And frankly now, it can move overnight on a global scale because of the technology that, you know, we've advanced. I wonder this week how many people, because of careless words, destroyed their marriage or their career or their family 
or their reputation or the reputation of another or, or their church because of the words they chose to use in communication. See, words not only have the power to direct, they have the power to destroy if we don't learn to control them. It's like a fire. Have you ever met a verbal arsonist? Somebody who almost everything that comes out of their mouths is just inflammatory. It just, it, it creates a, 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 you know, upheaval. Sadly, it seems like our political system is nothing but that anymore. So, you know, strap in. Next several months are going to be a, a blazing fire, just out of, out of control. And we need, to, we need to monitor how we participate in that. See, one of the beauties about both fire and our words is they can, you know, when they're under control, they can do some beautiful things. They can bring warmth and, and light. But out of control, they both can be devastating. They can destroy miles and miles, homes, lives, people. Proverbs 18, chapter, chapter 18, verse 20 says this. You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. You can, you can post, you can say, you can communicate whatever you want to, but you're going to have to live with the consequences of that. So be wise in your communication. In verse 6 uh, of James 3, James says, The tongue sets the whole course of a, of a life on fire. It can do that. And is itself set on fire by hell. See, what James is showing us here is that words create this chain reaction. Words have this capacity that when we, when we lay them on somebody, it oftentimes communicates to them who they are, their identity. Let me see if I can give you an image of that. Can you run that video, please? Somebody told that Swanee was aggressive. And so he became aggressive. You can kill the video now. So sometimes we put labels on each other, and people's identity begin to be formed by that, to, to be shaped by that. You can say something that maybe you didn't mean any harm by, but it can have devastating effects. It can, you know, just set off a chain reaction of events. You know, a dad can come home in a bad mood and you know, immediately kind of yell at his wife and sets her in a mood and she kind of snaps at the oldest son and sets him in a mood and he, you know, kind of goes after his little sister and she's upset. She goes outside and sees the dog who kind of runs at her. She kicks the dog. The dog, you know, chases the cat, bites the cat. The cat runs in, scratches the toddler. The toddler in anger snaps the head off of a baby doll. Wouldn't it have just been quicker if the dad had walked in and snapped the head off the baby doll? <laughs> but our words have the capacity to set those kinds of chain reactions into motion. You know, it just, it, it, they do. And we need to be mindful of that. James, James says that our tongue, our communication can become a fire that the source of the fire is what? James says hell itself, that it can unleash that. If you've ever had the opportunity, um, sometimes the sorrow, of walking with somebody whose marriage is in trouble, 
and they'll oftentimes come in and, you know, tell you about uh, an incident. And, you know, the, the husband might say, well, I came in and I said this, and she said this, and I said this, and she said this, and then all hell broke loose. Friends, the reality is we have the capacity to lose hell in our homes, in our lives, in the lives of other people because our, our tongues, our communication can destroy. It can destroy a family, a community, a career, a, a church, all based on the words that we choose because they're like a fire. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says, if you want to stay out of trouble, be careful what you say. James then dives into another illustration. It's almost like he's taking a walk through a zoo. Verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of, of reptile, of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You can tame all kinds of animals. But no human being can tame the tongue. No, no human being on his own power can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. All of the animals can be tamed by a human being, but not not the human tongue. He says it's restless. With me, and that means it's, it's, it's looking to break out any moment. You know, th- th- friends, there are reasons when you go into like a national forest, it, the signs are up that'll say something like, don't feed the bears. Because the bear can snap your head off. You know, it can be very dangerous. They may look fuzzy and friendly, but when you run out of food, you're food. You know, it, it, that's going to happen. It, the tongue is like that. It's restless. It, it can even turn on you. James says it's like a poison. And the, the language, the word that's chosen there by James literally means snake venom. Just a drop or two can, can kill. You know, you can, you can assassinate somebody with your words. You can assassinate a person's character. You can assassinate your own character, for that matter, with with words that you choose, which leads James to kind of the third reason tongue-tanging matters so much is because my words reveal the real me. It reveals my character. It, it puts on display what's inside of me. And first, James points out how inconsistent our words can be. Look at verses 9 and 10. We use our, langu- our tongues to praise our Lord and Father, but then we curse people whom God made like himself. Praises and curses come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. We say things out of the same mouth. We, we come to church and we engage in what I believe is the, the highest, most glorious opportunity that we have in our capacity to communicate. And that is to worship God. To, to give him thanks, to, to declare his glory, his, his goodness. We sing praises to him. And then we walk out, get in a car, and argue about where we eat lunch. You know, just start snapping at each other. One moment we're praising God, the next minute we're looking at that person creating God, Jim, and saying, shut up. And James says it ought not be so. See, the, our, our, our tongue, our communication mindset is, is a contradiction so many times. It's kind of Jekyll and Hyde. You know, one thing, one minute, one thing, the next. Praising God, cursing people. And, and cursing here, when you read that word here, don't think profanity. This kind of cursing is more about labeling. You know, you're just like your so-and-so. Or you'll never amount to 
anything. It's, it's, it's a label that's putting somebody down, and it becomes for that person a curse. Friends, in the Bible, words are acts. They are, they are, they are action. Their words are, are deeds to a great extent. So let me, let me put something that we're familiar with in what, the way the Bible, I think, would say it. Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can destroy my soul. Now, that's completely opposite of the way the world comes at poetry. But I believe that's the way God's word would come at that with, with the truth. See, some of you sitting in here right now remember words that were said to you as a child that harmed, that wounded you deeply and you have never forgotten and they have been haunting you all your life and I know that because some of you have already nodded at me things people said about your body uh, uh, about your intellect about your character and you've never been able to forget them see what James is saying here what the Bible says is you can start a fire in your own life in the lives of others through words because they penetrate, they come in and they have power. And friends, the place they have the most power is in your home. Parents, it is a power in the lives of your kids that you have to be mindful of. How is it possible that we can be so loving to the people we love in one moment and the next be so harsh? Or cold or condescending how, how is that possible how is it possible to 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 be just so loving and kind and gentle and then the next minute raise your voice to them how how is that friends those statements are, are not just made up for me those are real to me because one of the things I struggled with and grieved deeply when I had kids in my own house as a dad was was that back and forthness, that inconsistency in my own life. And I would have to go to my kids. My daughter's sitting over there. She's, she's been damaged by my words. I know that. I can't tell you the numbers of times that I was grieved over. I would have to go back to my kids and say, I am so sorry. You, you didn't own that. That's about me. I own that. I, I'm sorry I let that come out on you. And we need to learn to apologize to our kids, parents. We need to stop ourselves in those moments. Do you, do you struggle with inconsistency in your communication? James says we all have. You know, we all speak living, lovingly in one moment, in one breath, and, 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 and the next we lose it. What gives? What, what is that about? Where does that come from? Well, James tells us in verses 11 and 12. Look at it with me. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? And the answer is, duh, no. I mean, it really is. He goes on and gives examples here. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The point is this. Whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever is at the root of a tree shows up in the fruit of that tree. See, our problem is not our tongues. James is pointing out our problem is our hearts. Because what's inside is what comes out. 
our mouths will eventually, if you hang around us long enough, our mouths, all of us, will eventually betray what's really going on on the inside. We can fool each other and pretend a little while, but eventually it's going to come out. Have you ever heard someone or maybe even used some of these excuses yourself? You know, you, you didn't really mean to say something hurtful maybe, and you've heard somebody say, you know, I don't know what got into me. I, that, that, that doesn't sound like me. That's totally out of character for me. You know what James would say? I don't, I don't know what Greek word that is, but that's what James would say. James would say, it is exactly like you. That's what's going on in your heart. Quit kidding yourself. Because we all struggle with this. What's going on the inside comes out. You know, you don't, you don't have a spring that one minute gives fresh water and the next minute gives salt water. It's inconsistent. It's against the, na- the laws of nature. And James says you can't get that. Do you know who James got this from? Any idea where James got this insight and wisdom? His big brother, Jesus. Look, look at what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is talking to religious leaders, religious snobs of the day. And he, he starts out with this, you know, beautifully warm and touching moment you brood of snakes how could evil men like you speak what is good and right for whatever is in your heart determines what you say he, he, he's saying you, you guys are the teachers of God's law and yet what comes out of your mouth in judgment on others see what Jesus is pointing out here is, is Jesus Jesus explained the Freudian slip almost 2,000 years before Freud was born. He just, these things are going to come out. He says what's going to come out of us is what's inside of us, and it can destroy. It can direct in a wrong direction. It can destroy what's been built that's good, but mostly it's going to reveal the real me. It reveals my character. And friends, your character is the only thing that belongs to you that you're going to take to heaven. It's the only thing that belongs to you that you'll take into heaven for all eternity. Not your car or your cash or your credit report, just your character. And if you've got problems right now with the ways you're wielding your words, it's more serious than your words. It's about the heart. If you have a harsh tongue, all it's doing is manifesting from an angry heart. See, a person with a negative tongue has uh, basically a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue uh, has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A, A person with a critical tongue has a bitter heart. But on the other hand, a person who is always encouraging, they have a happy heart. A, a, a person who, you know, speaks with gentleness. It comes from a loving heart. A person who speaks truthfully is coming from an honest heart. So what do we do? How how do we engage this? Well, we have to enter into a biblical plan for training our untamed tongues to control our communication. And step one in this training strategy is this. We've got to turn to God for a new heart. That's the beginning point in dealing with what's going on out of our words, it starts in our heart. 
Our heart is the heart of the matter here. Look what, look what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said about this. He said, we've got to get rid of all the sins that you have done and get for yourself a new heart and a new way of thinking. Now, for some of us, what it means is we may have gotten a new heart. We may have come to Christ years ago, but our thinking got corrupted along the way. And what we need to do is come back to God and, and ask for a renewed way of thinking, a, a way of thinking that's in the kingdom of God. You know, you could, you could paint the outside of a pump house beautiful if you want to, but if there's poison in the well, it's still going to kill. It's still going to destroy life. What you need is a new source, a fresh start, a way to let go of the past and start over again. And the gospel tells us that God has a plan for that. Even in the Old Testament, Ezekiel pointed this out in chapter 11, verse 19. God, speaking through Ezekiel, says, I'm going to give them a new heart and a new mind. I will take away their stubborn heart of stone. I will give them an obedient heart. How does God do this in our lives? He does it through his only begotten son, Jesus. Only through Jesus. Look at what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone, 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 if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's a promise of a new life, a new heart, a new spirit, a new kind of relationship with God. See, when you come to Jesus, God wipes out everything you've done in the past. He says, you get to start over. That's why it's called being born again. You needed a new heart. He gives you a new heart. And we need, we need to pray, crying out to God like King David did in Psalm 51. God created me a new heart. God, you, you may have given Christ your heart years ago, but you need to come back. I need to come back on a regular basis, crying out, saying, God, I need my heart renewed. Because what's in my heart is coming out of how I communicate. You know, after coming to God through Jesus to get a new heart, the second step in this training strategy is we need to ask God for help continuously to control our, our mouths. You need supernatural power. No man can tame the tongue. You can't tame your own or anybody else's. We can't do it on our own. You're living proof. That's true already. I'm living proof. That's true already. We need God's help. Psalm 141 gives us a great a great prayer to pray, a great scripture to meditate on. Look at it. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Don't let my heart incline to any evil. Joe Still's translation, God, muzzle my mouth. Put a muzzle on me, and when I start to say something stupid, tighten it down. Pull, pull it down tight, God. God, muzzle my mouth. Guard my lips. Don't let me, don't let me be critical today. Don't let me be judgmental today. Don't let me say things that I'm going to turn around and regret moments later. We need to ask God for that kind of help because we need his power in our lives, in, in our hearts. There's a pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord now. His name is Pastor Sidlow Baxter. I loved what he said on this topic. He said, the proof that God's spirit is in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you control the tongue that you do know. You want to see the power of the Spirit alive in somebody's life? You look at somebody who's controlling their communication wisely, gently, with grace. See, God gives us power to watch over our words. 
so that we no longer need white lies or exaggeration. We no longer need to slander another. And one of the best ways to get that moving in our lives is to get God's word moving there. Spending time in God's word. As you're asking him for help, you need to be in his word so that it can watch over you. Because what goes into our minds transfers to our heart. And what transfers to our heart comes out through our communication. So filling our minds with the word of God, with positive things. The, you know, Apostle Paul's told us with things that are beautiful, things that are noble, things that are of good reputation. That's what we need to think on, Paul said. And filling our minds with God's word will always help us take this third step. And that's this. Before speaking, learn to mindfully measure your words. Learn to mindfully measure your words before you speak. How many of you have ever driven a standard transmission vehicle? Anybody ever driven one of those things? Those of you who have done that, how many of you along with me will admit that there were times when you ground gears? I think everybody who's learned to do that at some point grounds some gears. If you grind those gears long enough, you know what's going to happen? Transmission's no good. No go will basically be your vehicle. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll tear it up. Friend, the same is true with our words. If we constantly engage our mouths before we engage our, mouth, our minds, there will be destruction. Things will grind to a, a halt relationally with other people. We need to engage our minds. James, back in chapter 1, gave us a great strategy. A great strategy, just a three-step strategy. Look at it with me. He said in verse 19, he said, remember this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. It goes on to say, and slow to anger. And there's a, that's a strategic order. First, be quick to listen. Second, be slow to speak. And the outcome will be third, you'll be slower to anger. Now, if you're someone who like me, I've confessed this for years here, who has struggled with anger. This is a great process. And it starts with choosing to get better at listening instead of always having to jump to say something. Be, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. It, it will result in calming anger. Psalms 39.1 says this, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. Is that a choice you'll make? Will you make that choice? Right now, right now in this season of your life, what is your communication saying about you? Both your verbal and your digital tongues. What, if, if, if God were to play back Every conversation you had this past week, even if it was the conversation you had with yourself while you were driving on Ashley Frustrate Road. No. <laughs> or maybe post that you made this week. What would we learn about each other? Because we learned something about what's going on in our heart. See, God sees it all. He hears it all. Our tongues display what's really going on. It displays the direction of our life. 
You know, some people will say things like, I can't ever do anything right. Everything's just getting tougher and tougher. What direction are those folks headed down? If, if that becomes the words they speak over themselves over and over and over again, where are they going to be in 10 years? Right where they forecast. See, our, our, our tongues can determine direction because it's, it's a bit, it's a, it's a rudder that moves our lives. Now, we can ask the strong arm of the Lord to have control over that, to direct our communication, asking Jesus to be Lord over our hearts. Because what's in our hearts? It's going to come out. It's the steering wheel. And we've got to let Jesus do that. The Apostle Paul, when he was teaching on this to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, said this. Uh, and I love the way the Amplified Version opens this up. It says, let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need of the occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace, which is God's favor, to those who hear it. Is your communication these days a blessing to others and for others? Is it blessing your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you post negative grumbling, complaining thoughts about others, about brothers and sisters in Christ, about your church. What does that, what does that look like? Are you, are you increasing the strength of the witness of Jesus or are you cutting it under? Are you destroying it? James says our tongue, our communication is like a fire that can unleash hell on earth. I'm bringing the plane in for landing now, okay? But I'm going to do it by going back to verse 1. I didn't talk about it. Look what verse 1 says. It says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I want to focus on that last phrase. We will incur a stricter judgment. Friends, we need to understand that every word that flows from us, our mouths, our digital tongues, every word is going to be weighed in eternity. Every word we're going to be judged on. Now, some of you are saying, Joe, slow your roll, man. Last week, Dean told us, you know, we weren't going to be judged on our works. You're getting me confused here. Okay? I'm not talking about judgment that leads to condemnation. That's a, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not talking about that kind of judgment. James is not talking about that kind of judgment. But what he's talking about is a judgment that is a revealing of what has gone on in our lives. See, Jesus, Jesus took our condemnation. He, he took it, and because he was the judge that was judged and carried our condemnation, we won't be judged that way. As Christians, our salvation is secure. But there is some sense in which God is going to weigh our words, and we will either get to hear something like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on. Or some of us may just hear, you got in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. 
What do you want to hear God say? What, what do you want to hear God say? I think we all want that well done. Friends, any breakthrough that comes spiritually in our lives, any, any kind of growth that begins in how we communicate always begins with repentance. And maybe today you need to start with forgiveness. Going to God, asking his forgiveness. If you have, if you have ever spoken a word that falsely identifies a brother or sister, maybe your children, maybe your spouse, you may need to go to God first of all and ask for forgiveness for labeling them with a lie. And then maybe you need to go to that person and say, that thing I said, it's not true. It's not true, it's a lie. I own it. You don't. You know, it, it shows that you're human. We all stumble is what James said. But we also all need to own it and take it to the Lord and confess it and confess our sins to one another. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks so that healing may come. Remember what Ezekiel said? Get rid of all the sins you have done. The only way to do that is confess them to God, to one another, and get for yourselves a new heart and a new way of thinking. And friends, that requires surrender. We gotta surrender ourselves to the Lord. Pray with me if you would. Lord, there may be someone in this room today that needs a heart transplant for the very first time, that, that needs a new heart that only you can bring through your son Jesus. And if that's you today, if you, if you are here and you've realized now through the power of the Holy Spirit who's opened your mind that the only way to get a handle, a hold on your life and what it communicates is to not be in control of it, but to give control to God through his son Jesus. And that simply means that you'll surrender to him today. You just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender all. I, I've tried to run it myself, and I've wrecked it. I've wrecked my family. I've wrecked my relationship with my kids. I, I, I've wrecked my marriage. I've wrecked, I've wrecked so much, God, and I'm coming to you now. And I'm asking for you to forgive me and to heal me to give me a new heart. Give me, give me that heart, God, that you said you would that's tender and soft towards you and towards others. I confess I need that, God. I want your ways, your purposes. I want to communicate your kingdom, God, your way for living. Most of us here just need kind of a do-over there. We need, we need heart renewal we, we gave the Lord our heart sometime maybe years and years ago. But our thinking has been deformed over those years. And we need a renewed way of thinking. And we can come back to Jesus for a fresh start too. We can come back through confession, agreeing with God that we have not given him control, but we've, we've longed for our own control. And we can just come back and say, God, I want you to direct my life. I no longer want to destroy, but I want to build your kingdom with my words. And I want what my communication reveals to be a heart for you, Jesus.
for your heart, for your purposes, for your ways. Because I know they're best. And so I come. And I choose to come again this day to surrender my life to you, my words to you, my all to you. Lord, I give you my heart. I surrender. Jesus, we come now, each of us in our own way. Will you come to him and surrender today? We pray these things in your name, Jesus.